back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. Hope everyone's doing well in quarantine right now. We got a great episode for you today. I'm so hyped to get into it. As always, I'm Steph Albiero, and I'm here with two fantasy football kings. Of course, the first one, Alex Lott, my partner in crime here at DMS. Say what's up to the people. What is up, guys? I am so hyped to talk about some sports today. So hyped. Much needed, much needed. And we have a very special guest with us today. It's Mike Lou. He's Lude. back. You can find, yes, a returning guest, first ever returning guest. We got Mike. You can find him on Twitter at MikeMeUpP. And he's on another great fantasy, fantasy show, which I've been a huge fan of, called Bunk Bed Breakdowns. Mike is also a former writer for Dynasty League Football and Dynasty Nerds. Mike, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad to be back on the show. You know, you guys were my first ever pod appearance. So, you know, wow. you never forget your first. So I'm back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm excited to get into it, guys. We have all the second round wide receivers and some later round guys here as well. This year, as everybody knows, 2020, this draft class was insane at the wide receiver position. It was actually a record-setting run. We had 13 wide receivers selected in the first two rounds. The previous record was 12 back in 2014 when we had Odell Beckham and Mike Evans getting drafted. But what is really the value of a second-round rookie wide receiver? If you, if you guys haven't seen it, we broke down all the first-round wide receivers on our last episode. But let's look at the last seven years of data courtesy of Fantasy Pros. On average... Rookie wide receivers receive 65 targets. Uh, second round wide receivers receive 64 targets. And there's a big drop off. Third round wide receivers typically get around 40 targets. So there's not a ton of difference between the first or second round wide receivers in terms of target share over the last seven years. And, you know, yes, wide receiver ones historically will finish higher. You know, they finish at a 20% uh, uh, likelihood to finish as a wide receiver two. Second round rookies will f have a 10% chance to finish as a wide receiver two. Uh, but after the season, both finish to be in that 60 to 70 range at the wide receiver position. You know, my approach to dynasty and Mike, this is where we need your expertise to come in here. We're typically redraft. Alex and I are going to focus a lot of this show on redraft, a little bit of dynasty. My approach is typically to grab rookie running backs and then try to trade for wide receivers that I think will emerge as their prime windows are typically a little longer. Am I I'm on the right path here? Is that something that you've adopted as well? You are 100% on the right path. Like this year, not just in rookie drafts, but just in drafts in general. Like I just can't find myself drafting wide receivers. Like I'm sitting there on the clock and, you know, Devontae Adams falls like the top of the second round. Normally that'd be like a smash draft. But then when I look at all the wide receivers down below, I just can't do it. And it's the same thing with rookies, right? You have the big five running backs. Um, and then after that, if you play super flex, you have also the two quarterbacks. So, which is mostly what I play. Um, I basically don't even draft wide receivers. I don't even look at them until like at least pick eight, basically. Wow. I drafted my team totally wrong. <laughs> wide receivers do last longer. If you want to go there, there's, I think there's a case to be made for both sides, but nonetheless, let's hop into it. Alex, I'll have you start us off here talking about T. Higgins, the first selection off the board in the second round out of Clemson. And the Bengals took a wide receiver, I think to, to some people's surprise. But what are your thoughts here for Higgins? Any winners and losers in this move? And do you expect him to be somebody that we're looking at in 2020 redraft? Yeah, here's the thing. I think Higgins was a great move for the Bengals. They give Burrow 
a young wide receiver to grow with. We know A.J. Green has missed a lot of games. He's actually missed uh, 23 games in the last two seasons. He's going to be 32 this year. So I think giving Joe Burrow, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and now T. Higgins, I mean, even John Ross, if you want to count him, um, to grow with is a great receiving core. That's a great um, unit to come into the league with. But as A.J. Green moves on, I think T. Higgins is going to be a playmaker. In redraft, I'm honestly not super interested in him. I just named off a lot of guys in that offense that are going to be competing for targets, competing for touches. They have Joe Mixon as well, um, who's a top 10 running back for me in redraft this season. So, um, you know, in redraft leagues, I just don't know that uh, the volume is going to be there for Higgins. He is a big play guy. He averaged 19.8 yards per catch in his final year at Clemson. He's big. He's 6'4", 216. He has a knack for getting open downfield. So I think he will definitely have some games where he breaks a big one and he's startable, but it's just going to be too hard to predict and it might be a little bit inconsistent. So for me, I love Higgins as a talent, but in redraft, I'm probably trying to stay away other than a late bench stash, kind of counting on A.J. Green going down at some point. Yeah, we got some injury riddled guys in AJ Green and John Ross there. I mean, you threw out the measurable six foot four, two sixteen. Isn't that isn't that what AJ Green was? <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of see Higgins going into that role uh, later on. I know Zach Taylor and the Bengals staff have come out and said, "Oh, we're this isn't our AJ Green replacement." If you look at the move, though, it does kind of seem like it. What are your thoughts on it, Mike? This was one of my favorite landing spots from a dynasty perspective. I think you're right on redraft. I mean, just in general, you don't really want to invest in rookie wide receivers in redraft because even like last year when we had a very historic performance from that class, a lot of those guys you can grab on waivers. Um, and you just like the, the like in the redrafts that I do play, those spots, uh, roster spots in the beginning of the season are just too important to kind of hold rookie wide receivers. But like you said, it's, it's a great landing spot. I don't think he's going to take over AJ Green. I think anyone that gets held to that type of standard is going to disappoint. When I watch mm. T Higgins, what I see is a, is an Alshon Jeffrey. You know, he's someone that's really good on the sidelines, very good in contested catch, just a tall, lanky guy. That's, that's not like blazing, but he will beat you deep uh, if you give him the chance. And that's kind of what I see in T Higgins. The Bengals ran one tight end sets most in the NFL last year. Their defense doesn't look like it'll be improving much. So I'm with you guys. I do think it is a, a decent landing spot. Zach Taylor came out and said Higgins could potentially be a starter. He also said that last year he felt like their receivers were taking way too many reps. He was saying they don't need to all play 60 plays per game. So he wants to decrease some of that wide receiver workload if possible. So I think I really do think Higgins could find some some decent volume here. But you know the question is, would you would you draft the Bengals wide receiver three or four next year? Probably not. If we see some big potential, maybe Ross and Green go down. Why not throw 25 percent? 50% of your fab on them, depending on how Joe Burrow's looking. Just grab that upside. Any losers for the Bengals here? If I had to pick one, it'd probably be Auden Tate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Auden Tate's, Auden Tate's barely going to see the field. Um, I mean, maybe John Ross. I could see Higgins and Ross kind of competing for snaps there. You know, there's a lot of guys on this list where if you're looking at redraft specifically, you might have your wide receiver five, you know, on draft day. You're looking at guys like Danny Amendola. And for me, I would rather, I mean, Mike, you made a great point. You could probably wait uh, to get some of these guys we're going to talk about today on waivers. Like I remember last year, A.J. Brown was bouncing on and off of waivers for the first eight weeks of the season. So you could probably wait for some of these guys. But if you're looking at like a wide receiver five and a Danny Amendola type, Cole Beasley type slot guy, I still think I might rather take a shot on one of these guys who could actually 
take a step forward. And if an injury happens or if they just happen to fight for snaps on the field and get on the field, they could end up being uh, top guys like we saw from DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel last year. So for, for like an upside, um, I'm definitely taking a T. Higgins. And some of these other guys we'll talk about later in the show. But I think the biggest losers here are, are just obvious. It's got to be Auden Tate and it's got to be John Ross. And John Ross declined yeah. his fifth-year option. As of right now, no long-term deal is in place with A.J. Green, though rumors are there that with Andy Dalton walking away, they will have some cap space for Green. But, Mike, I want to touch on one point. You know, something you talk about a lot is appreciating assets in Dynasty. And, mm -hmm. you know, I could see Higgins as a guy that have almost no fantasy significance in 2020, but still see a huge increase to his value. Would you agree with that? Yeah, so rookie wide receivers, I mean, typically they hold decent amount of value unless they totally fall flat in their face. Like if you pull like a Nikhil Harry, for example. Um, but <laughs> like for someone like T. Higgins, the thing is like you can create a very easy narrative to make him a buy next year, right? Like like, like if A.J. Green leaves, then, you know, the alpha wide receiver role gets vacated. If Joe Burrow takes another step forward, like all these types of things start compounding and that's what drives value. And he, that's why I think he's one of the guys that I'm I'm willing to fire on. He doesn't cost you a first, right? You, you, it costs you like a second round pick. And I think that's a that's a pretty good place to uh, fire over on him versus someone like, you know, one of these backup running backs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move over to one that... Could be really big. I know Alex is on the hype train as our in-house Colts fan. Right after T. Higgins was taken off the board, we had Michael Pittman come off the board out of USC. To me, you can't ask for a better landing spot, especially for his skill set. Mike, what are your thoughts on Michael Pittman in this Colts offense? I'm probably in the minority, but this is one receiver where I'm fading in both redraft and oh, dynasty. No. Wow. Don't tell me that. It's just it's really it's really just comes down to his profile you know you, i know you guys know i'm i come from more of like an analytical background i don't i'm not a film expert by any means i watch it because i think it's entertaining but just if you just look at his profile like if we look back two years from now and he does nothing in like two years i would not be shocked at all I'd be like oh yeah that makes sense like look at his profile he didn't break out in college until he was like 20 uh 20 almost 21 years old uh he played in the pac 12 uh not great competition and he's just like a really big and athletic guy and i think people fall in love with that but at the end of the day those things just don't really matter as much for um their athletic profile like if we look at something uh, i don't know if you guys follow jetpack galileo on twitter if you don't yeah. you definitely should uh, he created something called the combine score and that looks at like some of the most important things that actually matter for fantasy so that includes like weight adjusted speed score 40 yard dash launch score which is similar to like a burst metric and hand size and arm length he really only checks a couple of those boxes and he came up with a score of like 21 percentile which is not good um Ooh. if you yeah if you look at the jetpack score if you have a 50 percent uh combine score you have a 43 percent hit rate in the second round if you have less than 50 percent which he has 21 percent you're looking at 30 percent hit rate so yeah it's a very it's a much lower hit rate from that plus the analytical profile just like those things combined this is like the exact type of profile that i that I typically like to avoid. Now, would you say though that he has, you know, one of the most uh, clear paths to, you know, being used right out of the gate? I, I feel like the landing spot and the situation is one that makes it pretty appealing, even with, yeah. you know, maybe the the measurable downside that you just mentioned. 
Yeah, most definitely. I mean, he definitely has one of the most clear paths. But the problem is with targets, unlike running backs where you just get handed the ball and fed the ball with opportunity, you got to, like, get open. Like, you have to get open. You have to earn the target. You have a veteran quarterback in Phillip Rivers who is, I would say, you know, on the on the last breath of his career, if I had to put it kindly. <laughs> and he's not really sliding it into any, any tight windows anytime soon. So I, I'm actually very... Uh, cautious about his ability to separate at the next level because all the NFL cornerbacks are big and strong, right? You're not you're not dominating little college players anymore. You're you're facing grown men, so I think he's in a struggle from that perspective. Yeah, that's a fair point. To be honest with you, I mean, I am the in-house Colts fan, and I was excited about this Pittman pick, but it was more because I knew the Colts had a desperate need at wide receiver. I actually was really hoping they were going to snag T. Higgins, who went one pick in front of Michael Pittman, um, but we end up with Pittman. So. You know, it's it's the whole talent versus opportunity thing. Like, I think there are a lot of more talented receivers that the Colts probably could have brought in in this draft and even in free agency, and they didn't do it. But when I look at Pittman, I think he's a very adequate wide receiver. There's a reason he was drafted here in the second round. And he was, I mean, I know it was the Pac-12, but he was fourth in the NCAA last season in receptions. Um, so to me, I just think the opportunity here, you look at all these other guys in the second round, maybe you can make a case for Denzel Mims, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, that he could be the number two in New York. But Pittman's the only one that really has a clear path to playing time right off the bat. So when I'm looking at redraft, I have Pittman higher than any of the other receivers in round two. And this might be a bit of a hot take, but I think Michael Pittman Jr. actually is a pretty good bet to lead the Colts in receiving touchdowns in 2020. T.Y. Hilton has never been a guy who's a red zone threat, obviously. He'll beat you deep a couple times. And then Eric Ebron left for Pittsburgh. So when I look at who Phillip Rivers is going to throw the ball to in the red zone, you think about back in um, L.A. with the Chargers. He had Mike Williams. He had Hunter Henry. When um, Antonio Gates was playing, that was one of his favorite targets. So he loves those big body guys, whether it's a receiver or a tight end. I think Pittman definitely fits that bill. And over Rivers' past five seasons, his number two wide receiver has averaged 78 targets a season. So that's above that average we've seen from second-round wide receivers. Um, Pittman is definitely going to be on the field a lot. And I, I think he is still you know, a wide receiver four or five in redraft. You think about Pittman, and you don't normally have handcuffs at the wide receiver position. But if I think about what happened to this offense last year with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, T.Y. Hilton going down. We saw undrafted receiver Zach Pascal having very serviceable fantasy football weeks. I started him several yeah. times and was very pleased. You know, you almost think about it. If you're going to take the value on T.Y. Hilton in the fifth round this year, why not snag Pittman late? Maybe Pittman never pans out. But if Hilton goes down, Pittman would have incredible value in this offense. Rivers has thrown the ball 582 times per season over his last five seasons. So he may be getting older, but the arm is still slinging um, <laughs> like no other. So, you know, I, Pittman, I, I see the case against him. He's not the most talented guy in this class, but just because of the opportunity and the upside, if there was something to happen to T.Y. Hilton, there's no other guy in this group that has a clear path to being potentially a number one or number two wide receiver this year. I'm with you, Alex. I mean, if we look at, you know, we don't want to copy and paste everything over from the Chargers, but if you look at receivers that Rivers was with, I mean, the comp based on his measurables and his skill set would be like a Mike Williams type of guy, you know, kind of like T. Higgins, that he's like a Alshon Jeffrey, Colin Sutton. He's not going to be a yak monster, but I think he showed that he can go up and make plays in tight passing windows. We'll see if Rivers can get it in there. I think his skill set fits really well between Hilton and Paris Campbell as well. So we'll see. Um, Frank Wright came out and said, we envision Michael as being their ex receiver. We believe he can develop into that pretty quickly. So there seems to be some optimism coming out of the Colts camp. 
Uh, I'm excited for Pittman. I, I don't see anything wrong with taking a late redraft flyer on him. Uh, Mike, give me your, your final thoughts here from a dynasty perspective on Pittman. Do we see him painting out long-term as a guy you're fading this year and beyond? Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just not buying him at ADP and I'll get into, you know, some of the other guys that I prefer that are coming up. So for dynasty, I have zero shares of Michael Pittman, but you guys like, I, it's funny. Cause I actually wrote down on my notes, like he's a more athletic Mike Williams and that's kind of how I view him as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, just for, for my purposes, like this is the type of profile where if I miss on it, I'm totally okay with it. Uh, but it's just not a profile I really, I usually target. I want to put both of you guys on the hot seat real quick this season redraft. This might be an easy question, but would you rather have Mike Williams or Michael Pittman? I mean, with the chargers, they don't really know who's going to be throwing the ball. If it's Tyrod Taylor, it's going to be low volume. If it's Herbert, you got a rookie quarterback. Who's a bit raw Pittman or Williams in redraft. That's close. Uh, I think I'm going to take Williams still. Uh, he's kind of shown a pretty decent trajectory going up uh, from his first year to his, uh, I guess his, his third year now, because his first year was a injury riddle. He didn't really play. But I think he's still got a role in that offense. But, I mean, it's pretty close, man. Like I don't expect another 1,000-yard season from from uh, Mike Williams. The sneakiest 1,000-yard season <laughs> of all time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's because people, it's sneaky because, you know, the year before he put up like 10 touchdowns, right? And this year he scored like right. two. So I think he's down for some TD regression in that department. But I would I would eke out Mike Williams a little bit here over Michael Pittman. I would take the other side of the coin. I'd go Pittman just for a little bit more of the, you know, the upside and the unknown. And I like the Colts offense right now. I, I feel like there's just this hype train moving in Indy and I want to be a part of it. So I'm going to jump on that as well with them. Let's move over here to another name. I'm pretty excited to talk about because he's such a polarizing player. LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado, taking at the 42nd overall pick in the second round to Jacksonville. And yeah, I love the pick for Jacksonville personally. I'm not sure on the fantasy value. Where do you guys see him on the depth chart? Alex, I'll have you go first here. You know, we see Chark is the one, then it's D.D. Westbrook. And then is it between Chris Conley and Chenault as the wide receiver three? That's exactly what I was thinking. A lot of people heading into this draft had receiver as a need for Jacksonville. I wasn't quite seeing it just because we saw the Chark breakout last season. D.D. Westbrook, to me, is the clear slot receiver. Chris Conley has had a lot of ups and downs. They definitely could uh, upgrade the other side of the ball. But they also are, are bringing back Keelan Cole. Um, they brought in Chris Thompson. They brought in Tyler Eifert. They're, they're definitely loading up Gardner Minshew with all sorts of weapons. I mean, fear the stash next year. But I really think they're going to use Chenault opposite of DJ Chark. I think he will compete with Conley for snaps and for targets. But, you know, it's it's tough for me to reach Chenault. I think they're really going to use him as more of a gadget player. He can kind of do it all. I think he's going to make his fair share of big plays this season. I just don't know how consistently those plays are going to come. I think in the long term, he has a lot of value. I, I think of him almost as a Cordero Patterson type guy. Um, uh, you know, we'll see him make some special teams plays. He'll do it on the ground. He'll do it through the air. Um, but I think it's a good pickup for Jacksonville. I definitely think uh, it gives Minshew a bit of a bump. Um, but for fantasy value, I'm probably staying away. What do you think, Mike? I So this is one of the guys I love. I mean, I think going into the draft, I'm like, I'm not touching Levis Cachanol because he's got injuries, he's got all the stuff. Uh, and then after he landed in Jacksonville, I did like a full 180, and he's probably one of my highest uh, own rookie wide receivers wow. from a dynasty wow. perspective. I love the landing spot. Yeah, I actually really love the landing spot because, I mean, I think Jacksonville's made it pretty obvious. They're, they don't intend to compete this year. They sold off their defense like hotcakes. <laughs> uh, and they, 
I think they did need a weapon here, right? You have DJ Chark, and he, they kind of go together so well. Chark and Conley are both more deep threats, so they're going to occupy that portion of the field, whereas LaVisca, you're going to have him operating behind the line of scrimmage. He's probably going to take some snaps out of the backfield, very similar to like what Debo Samuel did for the San Francisco 49ers last year. So I think he's got that like you know carry upside, mm -hmm. and from a talent perspective, this is one of the most talented wide receivers in the class. If he didn't have all these like injury ridden things, like he would have been going in the first round. I think, you know, he ran the 40 hurt in the combine and basically had a parachute off his back. So that definitely didn't help him uh, in terms of his speed. But if you watch the tape and, uh, you know, my, my co-host Noah absolutely loves him as well. And I think he just compliments that offense so well, right? Because you have someone like Leonard Fournette who just doesn't have the juice anymore. Like he's not taking it to the house, but if you line up LaVisca in the backfield in the slot, uh, it's going to, it's going to result in some explosive plays, I think. So that's the one rookie wide receiver where I might actually have some interest in for redraft. And uh, I'm, I'm really in on him for dynasty. Do you think Chenault in his rookie season is going to get the number of touches that it's going to require to be fantasy relevant? I know last year we did see AJ Brown come on at the end, but he was doing, incredible things with five or six touches a game we saw the same thing out of Debo Samuel you you have to worry about the consistency with players like that you know you don't want them to end up being boom or bust so do you think Chenault is going to be locked in as a piece of this offense um, in his rookie year all season long to to be consistent enough in fantasy yeah look I mean I think all these wide receivers I don't think any of them are going to be consistent but what That's I will true. say That's is if you point. if you look for the prototype of guys that did produce last year, you mentioned a couple of them, AJ Brown and Debo Samuel. Like, what do they have in common? They're great with the ball in their hands, right? And that's exactly yeah. what Chenault is. So if the fact that they drafted him kind of tells me, you know, they should know how to use him. And if you watch his college tape, it was all about getting this getting the ball in this guy's hands. Like there's there's like literally plays where if you pause and freeze frame, it should look like and you told me to guess how many yards he would get. I would be like two yards and he would take it like 30 because he's just really good at, at making guys miss and also breaking tackles. And I think that's like the path to rookie wide receiver production is where you have an offense that manufactures touches for you out of the backfield and you have the playmaking ability to get the yards after the catch. Cause like your traditional like wide receivers, like it's going to be very hard to get uh, any, any sort of like, you know, stable production. So I, in terms of what I target, that's like the type of profile that I target where I think they can get on the field in many different ways and beat the defense in many different ways. Yeah, it took a lot of interesting snaps, you know, to your point, like his, his build is pretty unique to me. He's six, one, two thirty with like wide receiver speed. So, you know, I, I think just the, the measurables and his physical ability his talent alone. Uh, I think that could lead into some playing time for him. For me, I've been staying away from him in Dynasty just because you you note that he's coming off core muscle surgery, so may not get that many snaps early on. That's another thing that's keeping me away from it in redraft completely. But he also never finished a season in college, and that to me was a, a big exclamation point to say, you know, is this is a guy I want to invest in, um, hold on to if he doesn't produce, you know, first year or two. You know, Mike, am I am I on the right path here? Or are you you know just so high and everything else that it kind of mutes that point? It's kind of it's kind of the it's kind of all about opportunity cost, right? Like, let's say Lavisca Chanel did not have any health or injury concerns, he you would not be getting him anywhere in the second round. He'd be going as a first round wide receiver, and he probably would have been like 
the first or second, or at least in that first group of wide receivers off the board, because the talent is pretty incredible. And I think you're, you're kind of getting that injury discount. I mean, I've been landing him in the late second round of super flex drafts. And I think at that point, it's like, look, everybody has question marks. I'm just trying to shoot for the guy with the highest upside. And, you know, on the chance that he does actually perform. And I've seen some of the injury doctors on Twitter do the analysis and the core muscle injury sucks, but everyone seems to think that he should be good to go uh, by the, by the beginning of the season. So I'm just kind of going off that for now you know we hope that he becomes a Jags wide receiver two next year and, and you know even beyond that as a you know key part of this offense I just don't know how much there's going to be in Jacksonville to go around and how much of it is going to be productive but getting those wildcat you know formation snaps I think he will be taking some snaps at the running back position too so he'll find some snaps here hopefully and, and hopefully he can do enough with it um, you know earn that yards after cash to really make him extra valuable but let's move on here to the 46th overall pick a pure speedster that Denver took after taking Jerry Judy in the first round. They paired him with a second round wide receiver in KJ Hamler out of Penn State. Yo, to me, he has a lot of upside, but then kind of an equally level downside. Uh, Mike, I'm interested to hear your take on KJ Hamler. Love KJ Hamler. Probably one of my top dynasty buys, just given what his cost is. He's currently going in the third round of rookie drafts, and he has second round draft capital. His analytical profile is like top notch, you know, elite breakout, elite dominator. Uh, he didn't run the 40, but uh, it was reported that he runs a 4.2, and it kind of translates Ooh. on film because I think he had a top speed of 21.76 miles uh miles per hour when he was recorded and just for reference i think devin duvernay who's also known as a speedster ran like a 438 in the combine his top speed was about 21 miles per hour so he, he's a burner he's a burner and i think you know you kind of touched on it right like they drafted jerry judy they then they drafted hamler they also have noah fan they have Cortland sudden so it's kind of a surprise pick and people are scared off of him because there's, it's like crowded right there's too much talent there's too much competition but you know my my philosophy is look don't deal in absolutes, right? We don't know if Jerry Judy is bust proof. What happens if Jerry Judy's not good? What happens if KJ Hamler takes that wide receiver two job? Then you're looking at like a potential Deshaun Jackson, which is like my comp for him, actually. So I, I love the upside there for Dynasty. Redraft, you just got to stay away because you're not going to try and invest in the third or fourth best pass catcher from Drew Locke. But for Dynasty, he's just he's one of the most glaring buys for me right now. Yeah, I love that you had the Deshaun Jackson comp there because my comp for KJ Hamler actually came out a lot differently. My comp for him was Ted Ginn Jr. <laughs> um, I, I really hope he ends up as more of a Deshaun Jackson, but when I, I didn't know a lot about Hamler coming into the draft, to be honest. But when I started digging into this guy, I mean, he's 5'9", 176. He's tiny, he's electric, he's fast. He's also probably going to get some run in special teams. And Ted Ginn was the same way. Ted Ginn was the ninth overall pick in the first round when he came out of college. So... You know, the playmaking ability is there, but then you look at what Ginn struggled with throughout his career, and it was drop issues. And the good thing is you can't teach speed, but you can teach someone to catch a football. Um, but when I look at Hamler's stats, I, I read something that said he dropped 12 passes last year on only 68 catchable throws. So he really needs to clean that up if he wants to carve out a role in this offense. Um, so I, I like what you said about Hamler, though. I think he's a good flyer. He could take over. It's so true. We, we talk in absolutes when we think about these rookies, and we assume that – um, everything, all the narratives in the offseason are going to play out. And every every fantasy football season by week 15 or 16, you're like, how the heck am I starting, <laughs> you know, DeAndre Washington and Brashad Perriman in my championship <laughs> round? So there's definitely going to be some surprises. And if you can get a guy in round three of rookie drafts and dynasty, 
who could end up maybe being that, why not? So for redraft, I think it's kind of the same thing. I'm probably not taking him. Maybe midway through the season, he is a waiver pickup like we talked about earlier. But when I think about winners and losers here, I think the biggest winner, and this one's obvious, is Drew Locke. Um, they, they bring in Melvin Gordon, Judy, and Hamler um, in the offseason through the draft and through free agency. And then they already have Philip Lindsay, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant. This is quickly becoming one of the best young, um, talented offenses in the NFL. When I think about losers, between Judy and Hamler, I actually am taking Fant down ever so slightly. I know there's been a lot of bullishness about Noah Fant. Um, but when it was just Sutton and Fant, it's like, Fant's going to see 120 targets this year. <laughs> now that they have brought in Judy and Hamler, I'm, you know, tempering my expectations a little bit. I still do like Fant a lot as a breakout candidate. But based on how that ADP ends up uh, come redraft season, uh, it remains to be seen whether I'll be willing to take him or not. But Denver's offense might be a force to be reckoned with this year. So you talk about that great young nucleus they have in Denver, but there's still the angry old man there saying, get off my lawn and Melvin Gordon. And that, to me, is where <laughs> a lot of that volume is going to go. Uh, in 2019, they ran 10th most often, the Broncos did, with Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsay getting carries, which means they were in the bottom 10 in terms of pass percentage. Maybe Pat Shermer coming in changes that offense, but I don't want to overvalue that too much. The volume isn't going to be enough for Hamler. Maybe it was just him and Sutton with no Judy. Maybe you look at him there. But I do like him as a best ball or DFS option. I feel like John Elway is trying to re, you know, make the Broncos into what the Chiefs are. And I see this Hamler pick as being a, a you know, get your Mecole Hardman or your Tyreek Hill type of guy. If you look at McCole Hardman last year, uh, which is where I think Hamler could be around. He had you know, 26 receptions on 41 targets, 20.7 yards per reception. You just don't draft that in redraft, but uh, I, I do really like him in a best ball and in a dynasty, like you said, Mike, stash and wait and, and see if we can land that upside in the third round of a rookie draft. I think that would be huge. Uh, anything else to add on Hamler here? Yeah, I think you touched on it, but you know, Denver Broncos ran super heavy last year, but they didn't invest their first and second round picks and wide receivers to kind of run that same offense. So I am projecting a little bit of an uptick on the volume there. I and the well. other thing is, yeah, the other thing is Hamler is not just a speedster. He's really, really twitchy and good in space. So I can definitely see them running like similar roles where Nicole Harmon, where they kind of like give him a screen or a jet sweep or reverse something like that and kind of see wh what he does with it. Because when he's in tight spaces, he makes grown men look quite foolish uh, from his days in PSU. <laughs> Another thing to think about with that run-heavy offense, Joe Flacco played eight games last year. It seems like it was, you know, a decade ago that people were talking about Joe Flacco being elite. Uh, but with Drew Locke and the weapons they brought in, there's Wait, just who, no who was talking about that? Someone was talking about Joe Flacco being elite. Hey, I live in Baltimore, man. It's it was a hot topic up here. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, to that point, I think there's even though they did bring in Melvin Gordon, it was just tough for me when I'm statting out the Broncos to think like. How am I going to stat out Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay if there's not as many rushing attempts? But then how am I going to stat out all these receivers and Noah Fan if there's not more passing attempts? So <laughs> I do think they run more plays as a whole. Um, and Philip Lindsay ended up being a big loser as well. But that's not related to Hamler. That's a whole different story with Melvin Gordon. Yep. So I think we've checked on all the boxes for Hamler. Let's move over to a guy I'm very high on. I'm pretty high on him compared to everyone else pretty much that I've seen. I'm a big, big fan of Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. The Pittsburgh Steelers took him at the 49th overall pick in this draft in the second round. He was born in Canada just like you, Mike. He's a physical yeah. freak. There were some headlines <laughs> that said the Steelers 
may try him at tight end. He's, to me, if I look at a comp just physically and from what I see on the tape, play style wise, he's like a mix of Evan Ingram and like Mike Evans in terms of just the way he plays. I'm not saying he's going to be that good, but just the play style. And I think that could, could fit into the Steelers pretty well. Uh, Alex, what are your takes here on Claypool? I mean, Claypool's a beast of an athlete. 6'4", 238 pounds with a 4'4", 240-yard dash time. That's insane. And he's he is kind of that hybrid tight end receiver. I actually think the Steelers drafted him to start him on the outside. Juju Smith-Schuster has really struggled as an outside receiver. Uh, I really think they want to move Juju back into the slot and put Deontay Johnson and Claypool on the outside. So I think Juju's actually a winner here. As far as Claypool himself, I do think he beats out James Washington on the depth chart. Personally, I'm really high on Deontay Johnson. Um, so I think if Claypool's going to succeed, Deontay Johnson's going to have to succeed too. But I look at this offense. The Steelers' offense was absolutely brutal last season. It's tough to you know just go ahead and throw it out um, of your memory because it burned so many people last year, myself included. But two seasons ago, Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, this was a huge outlier. This was the big Antonio Brown and Juju year. But he threw the ball 675 times, which, Ooh. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to get back up to that kind of passing volume this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go up from around 500 attempts last year closer to 600 this year. So you look at the offense as a whole, Juju is definitely going to get more targets. Um, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Eric Ebron, James Conner. There's a lot of mouths to feed there. So when I think about Chase Claypool in a redraft setting, it's kind of the same as, as we've said about a lot of these guys. I don't think he's going to find himself as the number two option. I think he's going to be the number three. He's going to compete with Ebron um, in the red zone. But for Dynasty, I love Chase Claypool. I think he's one of my favorite receivers um, in this class. You know, there is some question marks at the quarterback position. Once Ben Roethlisberger retires, he's definitely um, closing that window. But, I mean, I just think about the Steelers, and this was the first pick they had in this draft. And they have young receivers in Juju, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington. They know Big Ben's window is closing, so they could have addressed anything. And they decided to address the receiver position with the first pick they had. In this draft, they went Claypool. I think because of that, they're going to use him a lot. Um, and and he's going to be a pretty solid player for years to come. Look, this is going to make you guys unhappy, but Claypool is probably no. like my top fade of the year. No. Uh, he's he's just someone I'm just not going to have on any of my teams. Hey, I'm glad we're having this many disagreements because we can run it back at the end of the season and start <laughs> yeah. tying up the score. <laughs> yeah, so... Claypool like is like a worse version of Michael Pittman from like a profile perspective because he's someone that really didn't do much until his last year and obviously you saw his physical gifts take over as a senior and like th those types of guys where they win in like very specific ways just don't translate as well or at least as easily to the NFL and you know if he was a tight end Look, I'd be all over him because, he, like you mm. said, he is another Evan Ingram. But as an outside wide receiver facing opposing teams, uh, first or second cornerbacks, I just don't see him being able to win that battle. And I, it kind of reminds me of, like, I, I really love Deontay Johnson. I think he's probably their best perimeter wide receiver in terms of the way he wins, uh, the routes that he can run, and the way he beats people off the press line of scrimmage. But Claypool, when I watch him, I just I just don't don't see it. And look, he's an athletic freak, but 
there are a lot of athletic freaks that come to Darius the NFL Hayward and they don't, yeah, they don't work out. And I, like you said, I think it's a big win for Juju. And I think if you can get any type of discount on Deontay Johnson, because people think Chase Claypool will take over, I would definitely jump on that. But in terms of redraft or dynasty or whatever format, I'm just not going to have any shares of Chase Claypool. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. And yeah, I don't know how big I am on Claypool for this year. I think that's where long-term, I think the Steelers historically have done a pretty good job of developing those wide receivers. So I think he can also improve. You know, I look at just the physical gifts, you know, you mentioned some of them, you know, the only other player who's six foot, 235 or more, and was able to run a sub 44540 was Megatron. <laughs> now I'm not making that comp by any means, but I do feel like Claypool could find his way into some flex value when redraft year one. Should somebody go down? I'm with you guys. I'm very high on Johnson. I don't know if they necessarily just give all those targets right over from Washington to Claypool, especially just as a rookie. One thing, and Alex, you mentioned where he's going to line up on that Steelers wide receiver core. I could see him in the slot as well as the outside. And I think that's something where, you know, the, the Steelers could use some ambiguity to throw off defenses by switching Juju and Claypool around in the formation. We know he dominated when he was in the slot with AB on the outside. You know, they brought in Ebron, so I don't, I don't think Claypool's going to get his shot at tight end. It's a clouded, crowded landing spot, you know, but I would not mind grabbing him in Dynasty. I personally would take him over LaVisca Chenault. Um, and who knows, maybe Cam Newton comes in to back up Big Ben, and uh, that's where the Steelers go next. At least that's what I'd like to see. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that's a hot take there, Steph. Cam in, in black and gold would definitely be interesting to see. So let's go ahead and move on to our next guy. It's, it's Van Jefferson, drafted with the 25th pick in the second round to the Los Angeles Rams. This looks like it might be you know, an attempt to replace Brandon Cooks in that offense. Uh, Mike, we'll have you go first on Van Jefferson. You know, this one was shocking to me. I actually had, um, I was really surprised he went in front of Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims seemed to fall down the draft board here on day two. But what do you think of Van Jefferson in this Rams offense? Yeah, I'm another top fade. That pick really blew my mind, and it just, like, really goes to show. I've been saying Same. this for a while, but Les Need is one of, like, the most irresponsible GMs in the NFL oh, in, the way that, yeah. <laughs> in the way that he allocates, like, assets. I mean, he's he's basically Bob, but he's younger, and so people are kind of giving him, <laughs> giving him the, you know, benefit of the doubt. But it, it made no sense for them to invest in Van Jefferson. It made no sense for them to invest in Cam Akers, even though I love Cam Akers. But they definitely had a lot of holes on the line. And look, this is someone that's going to come in. He's old. He's old as hell. Okay. He's coming in as like a 24-year-old. <laughs> uh, oh, my god! Uh, so he's someone that didn't break out. Uh, he broke out technically on a dominator. But if you look at his market share of receiving yards, which is what I use, he never broke out. And his first couple of years, understandably, he had to sit behind A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, who we know are incredible talents. But still, it's just... This is not the type of profile you want to you want to invest in. Old coming in, uh, not an early declare, never broke out. Athleticism is like very questionable. And when it comes down to it, the only thing I ever get told about Van Jefferson is he runs nice routes. And to be <laughs> honest with you, I just I just don't really care about that enough to actually invest in him. And you're coming into an offense where they used to be the highest eleven personnel, so three wide receiver sets in the league. But as we saw in the back half of last year. The Rams can't support running three wide receiver sets. They went to a pretty heavy 12 personnel package. 
So how is he going to get on the field, right? You got Robert Woods, who's going to be out there probably 90% of the snaps, and you're going to have Cooper Cup, who basically is a better version, more experienced version of him. So for redraft, I don't think this guy is very rosterable, and for dynasty, I'm just not really interested either. Yeah, Van Jefferson is 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 older than Juju Smith Schuster. <laughs> go yeah. go comprehend that. Go <laughs> process that for a little while. But no, you nailed it. I, I'm going to step in here just for a second, step, Then we'll get to your take. To your point, Mike. I mean, Tyler Higby got a 25% target share over the last six weeks of the season. When your number one tight end is getting a 25% share, and you have two top receivers to support. There's just not a whole lot else to go around. And I think Van Jefferson's actually still going to compete with Josh Reynolds for the number three wide receiver spot on this offense. So I know they maybe feel like they needed to go in and fill right in for the loss of Brandon Cooks, but I just don't know if Jefferson's going to be that guy. Steph, give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, the question here is, would you draft Josh Reynolds? And I wouldn't. I would not burn a roster spot on him. You mentioned the only only positive thing that we're hearing for Van Jefferson is – he, he runs good routes, and he's kind of a, a slot guy, kind of like Edelman type of profile. He could turn into a great runner, great route runner and find his way into a long career. I expect him to see him used on special teams as well for the Rams. And McVay came out, like you said, McVay himself said it. They intend to use two tight end formations more often this season. So I'm fading Van Jefferson with you guys. Nothing else to add here. The, the last wide receiver taken in round two was Denzel Mims, the 27th overall pick in round two to the New York Jets out of Baylor. I actually had Mims a lot higher on my board in this receiver class. I was surprised to see him fall all the way to the Jets. Mike, you can kick it off. What's your take on Denzel Mims? Man, this is a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, all of us at BDG before the combine, we were all like in love with Denzel Mims. We're like, dude, this is a dude. He's gonna be great. He went to the combine, absolutely lit it up. Arguably probably one of the best performances, if not the best for the wide receiver position. Ran like a 4.38, uh, jumped out of the gym, 90th percentile burst score, uh, 90th percentile Jetpack Galileo combine score. So look, he seems to check all the boxes. And then the draft came around, like you said, he kept falling, right? It just didn't really make sense to me. Like Packers pass on him, you know, Philly pass yeah. on him. Like everybody that had a need seemed to pass on him. So it kind of made me question myself like, hey, like what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Like why does everyone hate Denzel Mims? So... <laughs> Uh, you know, at the landing spot, obviously not ideal because, you know, you're kind of getting stuck with Adam Gase, but he does have a clear path to targets, right? He's one of the guys yep. uh, that does have a path to become that wide receiver one eventually. I think, you know, he's someone where he's going to need time to develop, right? He's someone that didn't win in a lot of different ways, either in college and whether that's because of, you know, the way he was being used, like he was basically used the jump ball specialist nonstop. Like my comp for him is Marvin Jones Jr., I think that if he kind of Love plays that. out plays out a career similar to what Marvin Jones did, that would be incredibly successful for him. Um, but, yeah, like it's, it's kind of like you said. It's kind of weird that he dropped, and now he's dropping in rookie drafts. And every time he's on the clock, I'm on the clock, and he's there, I just, like, I'm struggling with hitting the draft button myself. I'm not struggling with hitting that draft button, uh, but I, I totally get your point there. I think the Jets was a sad landing spot to see him go to. Like, if, if let's say, the Raiders had taken him, I'd be much higher. If Philly, like you said, had taken him, uh, with or without Ray Gore, I, I think I'd be eyeing Mims a little bit more. But in this landing spot, the, the opportunity is going to be there. He has potential to step right into an alpha wide receiver one role from really like his first game in the NFL. I know rookies take some time to develop, but yeah, I think he can fit into kind of a Robbie Anderson type of role and then some in 2020. We had Robbie Anderson last year. It's not too high of a bar 
to set. He had 52 receptions, 779 yards, and five touchdowns. I think Mims can can hit that, if not even take it farther. The Jets have bolstered their O-line, so more time to throw for Darnold. I like that. And Jets offense really has nowhere to go but up from last year in terms of efficiency and scoring opportunity. Now, we did see Brashad Perriman get signed there as kind of the main competition for Mims. And I know, Alex, you're really high on Perriman, uh, but he's only there on a one-year deal. So the Jets should be looking. They should. Hence, I said should there. That's the key word with Gase in town. They should be looking to build chemistry <laughs> with Darnold and Mims instead of Darnold and Perriman. Um, I will gladly take Mims because I'm not a Perriman truther whatsoever. So we'll see. He's my wide receiver, wide receiver seven in this class behind Judy, Lamb, Ragor, Ju- Justin Jefferson, and Ruggs. I have him ahead of Ayuk. Uh, have him ahead of Pittman and Higgins as well. So I think he could step into kind of a flex option in 2020. I could see his name hopping in there uh, and some of those questions that we get every weekend. So, Alex, what are your thoughts on Mims? Are you more on, on my side or more on the Mike side? Look, I like Brashad Perriman because he is a value, but I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say I like Brashad Perriman. Sorry. Like with Mims, he was a dominant player. He, he really has that build that's like the alpha wide receiver one build. 6'3", 207. He's got the speed. He's got the size. I actually like him the most in Dynasty out of every single wide receiver in round two. So to me, he's a wow. do-it-all guy. Um, he's a red zone threat as well. He has a young quarterback in Darnold with continued upside on this offense. Steph, you mentioned Pearman is on a one-year deal. And Rashad Perriman himself, like the sample size we've seen from Rashad Perriman (laughs) being a good NFL wide receiver is so small. He started four games last season in Tampa Bay, was okay, had one real breakout game. And now, I mean, a lot of people are writing him in, me me included, myself included, as the wide receiver one for the Jets. And I think if Perriman holds that role through the season, he's going to be a value. But on the same same wavelength, like Perriman was cut – by the Ravens after being a first round pick. He was cut by the Redskins. He got picked up by the Browns for a year and wasn't very good. And then he was the wide receiver three on the Bucks and had a tiny breakout to end the season with, with uh, Jameis Winston slinging the rock, you know, as far as he could throw it. So Perriman's sure. definitely not a proven commodity. There's 154 vacated targets from just Robbie Anderson and Demarius Thomas. So How are those 154 targets going to be split up? I don't know. The Jets offense, I I also think, is going to have more pass volume next season. I don't think Darnold's going to get mono again. You know, he missed three games from that, but he also was was kind of getting babied a little bit as he got worked back in. I don't think he was fully unleashing. I mean, I don't think Adam Gase was fully unleashing um, the offense with Darnold right off the rip. So, you know, I think there will be um, startable receivers in this Jets offense. It might be Jamison Crowder, who I think a lot of people are sleeping on. He's still only 26 years old and was wide receiver 26 last year. It could be Brashad Perriman. It could be Denzel Mims in redraft. So I'm willing to take the flyer on Mims in redraft. But as far as looking forward um, goes with this Jets offense, Perriman is on a one-year deal. They have a young quarterback. Mims has the profile. Um, he's got the tape from college. He's got um, the production from college. The, the biggest question here might be Adam Gase, but I, I really like Denzel Mims, and I'm willing to take take a uh, stash on him in Dynasty. Yeah, I totally uh, I totally see where you guys are coming from. The one knock that I've all, that we'll have on Mims and most people have on Mims is that he was not an early declare, um, and that kind of translates uh, in terms of the NFL. Like you want to see guys come out early, 
And, the, you know, if you look at why he did it, it's because his junior year he kind of tanked. And, he, you know, according to him, he played with a broken hand. So that definitely explains a lot of things. But it's good because in the senior year when he did go back, he absolutely smashed. So there's positives. I'm, like, very split on him right now. And, you know, I actually am a Paraman truther. Uh, I think I went out on a, on a big Paraman buying rampage uh, immediately after the season. <laughs> For the value, because, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I was, like, paying up, like, thirds or two-thirds or getting him as, like, a toss-in for, like, big deals. Like, I literally traded away Josh Jacobs to get the 1.03 rookie just so I can get Paraman. Like, that was my target <laughs> in the deal. And because, I, like, I thought he would be a perfect wow. fit for, like, a Philly, for example. You know, obviously, he landed in the Jets, which isn't ideal. Uh, but similar to Mims, he does kind of have – I think he has a path to targets. And the reason why I'm comfortable for with Paraman sure. is this. He has not proven himself at all for the first, I guess, four years of his career. You know, he had some injuries. He got cut by a couple teams. But towards the end of the season, even with the Browns, I think he was doing pretty well. But the thing that gave me confidence was that last year when they lost Godwin, when they lost Evans, he transitioned into that wide receiver one role, was drawing top coverage from the defenses, and he was lighting them up. So that's the one part where I think, like, he's kind of experienced what it's like to be a wide receiver one in the NFL, whereas Mims is coming in as a rookie, probably, you know, there's no OTAs, shortened training camp. There's, I'm very I'm very cautious about wide receivers this year because of what's happening with COVID. So if I'm going to try and bet on someone that performs, I'm probably going to try and bet on the veteran that's, uh, that's actually played in the NFL already. Guys, before we move on really quickly, this might be an easy question, but we'll see. Half point PPR, redraft, Jets wide receivers. Who would you rather have this year? Is it Mims, is it Crowder, or is it Brashad Perriman? It's Crowder, uh, for sure, if I'm going to pick one out of cool. all of them. Same. Just given it's, volume. It's Crowder for me, but I'm getting flashbacks to last year when he went on like a three-game tear, had like 16 <laughs> points every week in PPR, and then I was telling everybody, oh, start him this for 80 week. yards. Dude, I, I told so many people on Twitter, I felt so bad that we're just asking us those flex, flex questions Sunday morning, Saturday night. I'm like, oh, start Crowder, start Crowder. I think they had a matchup with like the Bengals, and then he puts up three points. You had an absolute stinker. <laughs> um, but, yes, I, I am picking Crowder here. Let's move over to our next segment here. I want to talk about some of the deeper names. So we've hit everybody, all the wide receivers that were taken in the second round. But now let's look a little bit beyond that. So let's each go through. Alex, I'll have you start. Give us a wide receiver taken in the third round or later that you really like, whether as a sneaky dynasty option that you can grab late, maybe a really, really late redraft flyer. Any names that should just kind of be on our radar here? Yeah, well, it's interesting. The name I initially was going to pick was was Lynn Bowden um, with the Raiders. I'm actually looking at their roster now. They have him listed as a running back. So I, I do think he's going to be kind of like that Cordero Patterson type player. I mentioned it with LaVisca Chenault earlier, kind of the do-it-all guy, uh, play some special teams, line up in the backfield, line up at wide receiver. And it pains me as a Louisville Cardinal to pick a Kentucky Wildcat that might have some potential in this <laughs> oh. draft. I, he lit us up this year, and he's – I mean – I don't, even, don't even get me started on if I like the guy or not, but I think he definitely <laughs> is a great football player and a great athlete. But I'm actually going to go ahead and pivot to a guy who is listed as a wide receiver for the Vegas Raiders. Um, it's Brian Edwards. You know, they picked this guy back-to-back uh, with Lynn Bowden in round three out of South Carolina. And, you know, it really goes back to the upside here. And, and looking at this Vegas Raiders offense, there are a lot of mouths to feed, but there's there's nothing really set in stone. I mean, Waller is going to be the guy at tight end. Renfro is going to be the slot guy. But you look at the outside, yeah, they drafted Henry Ruggs in the first round. But it goes back to Mike's point from earlier with Denver. Like, they draft Jerry Judy in the first round, and they draft K.J. Hamler in the second round. You never really know how guys are going to translate to the NFL. 
who is going to stick, who's going to pick things up, and who's going to move fast and who's not. So when I think about this Raiders team, there's actually a lot of skepticism from a lot of people about Henry Ruggs. He's a one-trick pony. Um, he's like Tyreek Hill light, but he's not going to quite get there from a route running perspective, um, from a complete wide receiver perspective. So when I think about Henry Ruggs, if he ends up being a bust, Brian Edwards could see snaps this season. I'm not super sold on Tyrell Williams as a player either. So, you know, Brian Edwards could slide in. I mean, the, the camp concerns are definitely real, especially with a third round guy, but he could definitely show out in camp, show out in the preseason, earn snaps throughout the season and carve out a nice little role in this offense. It's an offense that's desperate for wide receivers. It's desperate for playmakers. Um, and, and I think this Vegas Raiders offense is going to be fun this year. They're playing over in the Death Star. I saw a couple things on <laughs> um, Twitter that said the, the Raiders' new stadium looks like a giant Roomba. So go ahead and go ahead and check that one out. Get a good side by side. Maybe we'll throw that up later this week on the Twitter page. But yeah, I think Brian Edwards has some potential. Don't have a lot. Um, you know, I didn't watch him a lot in college, so I'm not even going to try to speak to his tape. But just looking at opportunity, I think Brian Edwards could be a solid, um, a solid flyer in Vegas. Yeah, let me. Uh, you you took my guy, so let me just add a couple of things oh. here. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're able to enjoy. Uh, sorry, I, I'm glad we're able to agree on a couple of things uh, before we close <laughs> it out. But Brian Edwards was one of my favorite wide receiver prospects coming in. His profile, he broke out at 17 years old, which is the 100th percentile, uh, which means that he's probably one of the youngest breakouts uh, ever in the history of uh, college football. <laughs> is he still in high school? <laughs> yeah, so as a, as a freshman. And, you know, he shared the field with Devo Samuel, who we now know is a pretty pretty good wide receiver in his own right. Uh, he had, you know, great dominator score, hit 48% dominator in college, was 94th percentile. And if you, he's got prototype size. And here's my hot take, right? I think that in the next three years, Brian Edwards is going to outproduce Henry Ruggs on that offense. And wow. I think he's going to be the wide receiver one, just, wow. just given what he can do. Like his skill set, if you watch him play, he played in the SEC against some, probably some of the toughest competition. He has a nasty release off the line and multiple ways to win, uh, both in contested catch and also in runs after the catch. Like he was getting tossed screens left and right. They're trying to get this guy the ball in any way that they possibly could. Uh, he's incredible with yak and getting yards after the catch. He's incredible at breaking tackles. I think he's just, I think he fell because he wasn't able to test at the combine. And, you know, if he was able to test, I'm, I'm like pretty certain that this guy probably would have gone in the second round because from a profile perspective, he's, he's definitely, you know, way up there and I'm, I'm trying to get him everywhere. Uh, he's going in like the late second of rookie drafts. He was going in the third, which is ridiculous to me, but now he's going in the second and I'm totally happy to cop the buy button on him and LaVisca in the end of the second round. But I absolutely love Brian Edwards and I think he's someone that I'm, I'm looking forward to in dynasty. Very nice. Edwards get that gets that double stamp of approval on the show. Love to see that. Now I have one here that's a very deep name. I think most folks, if you're not, you know, oh a, a huge fantasy nerd like we are, looking at all these names going deep, deep, deep into the draft. My guy is Tyler Johnson, a wide receiver taken by the Buccaneers in the fifth round. He was the 161st pick. If you're in a dynasty league right now, just drop your worst player and go get Tyler Johnson. Just go do that right now. Hit pause on this, open up sleeper, and just go grab him. He's out of Minnesota where he was an absolute stud, six foot one, 206. He has good hands. He's really strong. Think like a, a Eric Decker or Keenan Allen type of comp for him. He lined up in the slot 81% of the time uh, in 2019 in college. 
I think he'll take a lot of the underneath stuff in Tampa Bay when you got check down Charlie TB12 himself there. I think there could be some opportunity in that role. We saw both Godwin and Evans get injured last year. We, we talked about our boy Perriman blowing up in that little in that, that short span. I think we could see something kind of similar to that for this kid, Tyler Johnson. So the Bucks wide receiver three. Yeah, we Arians doesn't really use the tight end a ton historically in the past game. I do expect that to change to a degree with Gronk in town. But note how little Howard and Brake got used last year on that Bucks offense with Arians. I think I would rather take the Buccaneers wide receiver three over the wide receiver three for the Raiders, the Bills, the Redskins, you know, and these other deeper names that that uh, were taken in the draft. I'm taking Tyler Johnson over all of them. I think he could be a very, very sneaky guy this year. He could be one of those nasty, uh, you know, week 15. There's a lot of injuries. You got to plug a guy into your flex in the redraft playoffs. Why not scoop Tyler Johnson up, put him in your flex, see if you can get some opportunity and some, uh, uh, you know, points out of him. Uh, I love that pick. Uh, Tyler Johnson was an analytical darling in the dynasty community. He broke out super early, you know, had insane dominator and age-adjusted production. And what happened was, he basically got outshined by someone who's coming out in 2021, one of his teammates. His name's Rashad Bateman. If you guys haven't heard of the name, make sure you remember it because he's going to be a stud. And basically, wow. you know, the NFL saw Tyler Johnson. They're like, this guy has no juice, right? And he does not explosive, and he's not, right? He wins He wins through routes. He wins through understanding what his game is. And then he basically skipped out on the uh, Shrine Bowl. Then he skipped out performing at the Combine, likely because – he knows that he's not going to test very well. And I think those <laughs> two things like really, really hurt him uh, from a draft capital perspective. And look, you, you don't want to invest in wide receivers that go in the fifth round. But if there is one that I'm going to pick, it is Tyler Johnson. You know, Stephon Diggs was picked in the fifth round. And they're both kind of like lanky guys that had some pretty dominant age-adjusted production in college. So I actually really love that pick. Uh, I like the landing spot. He's probably going to try and beat out my boy Scotty Miller for that wide receiver three mm. role. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely someone that you can keep an eye on. Definitely not someone you want to draft, right? Not someone you want to waste a draft pick on. But but, uh, you can look out for him uh, on waivers potentially. But in Dynasty, you should, you know, hit the cop the buy button on him in the fourth round of rookie drafts is where I would take him. Steph, I actually didn't even hear the second half of your take. Um, so you'll have to fill me in after the show. I was trying to pick him up in our Dynasty League, but he's already on our roster. So that's a real shame. (laughs) Guess whose roster he's on. <laughs> no. <Yes. laughs> hey, you got to follow it. your own advice sometimes. <laughs> Love it. So, one last thing before we wrap up here today, uh, we're going to do a quick rapid fire round with our guest, Mike. Again, uh, that's Mike Me Up P on Twitter. Mike, this is a fantasy football based rapid fire round this time. Are you ready? Hit me. All right, this first one's easy, but first thing that comes to your mind throughout these. All right, dynasty or redraft? Dynasty. Favorite late round quarterback this year in redraft? Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. Probably uh, Ryan Tannehill or Kirk Cousins. Nice. Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes? Lamar Jackson. Yes. Yes. Will the Cowboys make the playoffs in 2020? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say Uh, it. Don't say it. I'm assuming I'm assuming Dak plays, then yes. All right. Wow. All is, right. T- is Todd Gurley still an RB one? No. Mike Evans or Chris Godwin? Chris Godwin. All right. Last one. 2020 rookie, regardless of position, that you are the most excited about. Ooh, Jonathan Taylor. Likewise. Good stuff. That wraps up the rapid fire rounds. 
you know, you made the right decision there with Lamar Jackson. That's the one I was nervous about. You passed the test. Well done. <laughs> I've been standing for Lamar Jackson for quite some time, so that's an easy one for me. Absolutely. Steph, anything else to add here before we sign out? No, thank you guys so much for watching. We had an absolute blast recording this one. Mike, thank you so much, man, for coming on to the show. Guys, go check out Bunk Bed Breakdowns. It is one of the best. If you're in a Superflex Dynasty League, you need to be listening to the show. It's it's so fun to listen to. Not only do you guys sit on you know the players, the rookies, um, go through mock drafts, but you also talk about right how to put together a great league. What are some different settings? Uh, maybe some new and up and coming settings, like things like taxi squads that I'm really interested yeah. in. And you know from here you guys talk about it. Got me pretty excited to try out some leagues with taxi squads. So guys, definitely go check out Bunk Bed Breakdowns. Mike, anything to plug before we sign off here? Uh, no, I mean I think you covered it. Uh, if you're looking for bunk bag breakdowns, you just have to go to the BDGE Fantasy because uh, it's all under the same brand and it's just like our show under that brand. So if you search bunk bag breakdowns, it might be hard to find, but just search BDGE Fantasy and you'll find us there. And we're hitting you with you know content every Wednesday. And then you know if you want to look Dynasty and you're you're kind of new, right? Uh, you're you're not sure where to start. Join our Discord. Uh, it's free to join. We have like 1,500 members in there right now. We're putting up new Dynasty leagues every single day. Uh, I'm on there. Noah's on there. You know, if you have questions, I'm, we're constantly engaging, not just with me, but with you know other people in the community that are, that are like you trying to learn and get into Dynasty. So I would definitely check that out. And you know, we have the draft guide as well. So if you need a need a spot to start, I wrote some like 4,000 word essay uh, for like a super flex startup draft guide, which basically has all of my secrets. So hopefully you don't wow. play with me, but but if you're looking for a place to start, that's a good spot, and that's just uh, bigdogsdraftguide.com. You go and check that out, and uh, you know if you don't like it, come uh, come holler me at Twitter, and I'll answer some questions. <laughs> Hell yeah, we'll plug all of that down in the description down below. Thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you all again so much for listening and watching. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>